Hello, and welcome to the NetCentric podcast, NetCentric, a cognizant digital business. My name is Scott Mackin. I'm your moderator, and I'm joined today with Chucho Castaneda. Uh, Chucho is a senior software engineer with NetCentric, but maybe it's a good point here uh, to let Chucho, why don't you give a quick self bio? <laughs> Thank you very much, Scott. My name is uh, Jesus Castañeda, although they call me Chucho and I, I, I love it, especially here in Spain, because the first time that I meet people, it's like, oh, what's your name? It's Chucho. It's like, what? No, no, I cannot call you that. Because in Spain, you know, it has a very big, uh, people think about Chucho, they think about mongrel or uh, stray dog. So it's sometimes uh, hard for them to to call me by that. But when they get used to it, it's completely fine. Anyhow, I'm a front-end developer at NetCentric. I've been here for around seven years, and maybe I think this is going to be my eighth year. I also, well, I don't only do front-end inside NetCentric. I also work as in the academy as an academy dean and a trainer, and also in, a little bit in charge of the education and training coordination of, of the front-end community. I help out whenever I can. And I'm also, I must say that I'm also a big enthusiast of uh, usability, which is now called, you know, UX. And it's one of the things I think that drove me into becoming a front-end or specializing front-end. Nice, nice. Yeah, that's a, that's a good background. And seven years, that puts you in the, the realm of the, the OGs, the originals at NetCentric, right? Um, so that would be what, 2014, 2014, you, you joined yeah. NetCentric? Yeah, yeah. And I think I would only need to eliminate two of other frontends to be the oldest frontend in the in the company. That's saying I something. Mean, yeah. You didn't hear it from me, the, the elimination part. It's just going to be casual if, they, if something happens. But anyway. Yeah, you know, accident. Pure accident. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, so, okay. So going back even before 2014, um, way, way back into the uh, into the timeline, what's your earliest memory of technology? I think that's quite a broad question because you know there's a lot of things that could be considered technology and i would say that the oldest memory that i have of something technological in my life is when i was very very young i don't know four or five years and i used to have this watch you know this alarm watch alarm clock in my room that it had this you know elephant i think or some drawing in it but if the nice thing about it is that if you um, wind it up it would play uh, for Elisa and I remember that I was just fascinated by it you know because I had that watch I didn't know how to read it because <laughs> the clock I didn't know because it was you know the handles and I didn't know how to read them but I did love to just wind it up and listen for Elisa uh, for some time that would be like technology wise now computer wise I think that it would go all the way back not counting the Atari mm -hmm. 2600 my first computer was a Commodore 64 and it's still working on, on right now. When I visit my, my old home, I still have it there. I take it out and I play a little bit. And I guess that was one of the things that got me very much into computers. Wow. Wow. So you're home. You still, you still fire it up. Is it, is it back there yes. uh, mining Bitcoin now? <laughs> of course. It mines a lot of Bitcoin. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So, okay. So you're, you were always, you had your hands on, on the earliest uh, iterations of the, of the home computer, the personalized computer. Was that something that you were drawn to kind of as a, as a child right away? I, I don't know. I mean, I I, the, the, I got the computer just uh, as a as a gift once, and I never asked for it. I didn't even know that it existed. Just my parents came with it. It's like here you go. It's like what? Okay, fine. <laughs> let's let's take a spin out of it. But 
You know, one of the funny things is that uh, I did have access to a lot of technology, we'll say mm-hmm. that my parents had, that when I saw it, for me, it was like archaic, but I loved it. I remember that I stole from my parents uh, two big walkie-talkies, like they were huge walkie-talkies, and I just went through the house finding batteries to put them, and then I would use them uh, with a friend just to see how they, they, they would work. Or um, my, my dad used to have this very old recorder, very good one, and I did record uh, a lot of things in it. Uh, audio, I, I used to record myself doing audio radio shows on my <laughs> own and added music and a lot of stuff. So I, I did have uh, the opportunity to play around with a lot of gadgets that my parent, my, that my dad had. He was very much into gadgets. So I guess that I somehow inherited that that, that passion. Or yeah, let's go. Cool. Where was that? Where, where, did you, where did you grow up? I was born in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. And I lived there for the first nine years of my life. And then my parents moved to Baja California Sur, which is um, the, the little arm that has that Mexico has on the left side, all the way, almost all the way to the bottom, to La Paz. And I lived there for, for another nine, nine years. And that's where I would say, usually when, when, when they ask me where you're from, I usually say from Baja, mm-hmm. because that was the place that I think I grew into myself you mm-hmm. know because in mexico city which i love i was a kid and uh, but i guess that the 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 moment that i became myself was through during the time that i spent in in baja california which is yeah. a beautiful place yeah to, to incredible go. incredible place um and, and great food too <laughs> well yeah 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 we have uh you, we, if you ever go to visit, one of the things that I would recommend is the fish tacos, which mm-hmm. are fantastic, especially their street from mm-hmm. the street, street fish tacos, the best. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We, you know, even all the way up Baja, because I spent some time in LA and, and San Diego and, and uh, even coming up to Rosarito and Ensenada and, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, Puerto Nuevo, I think. And there's some just amazing, amazing street street food there. Uh, that's that's great. Um, okay, so when you say go home, like go home for the holidays, go home, see family, is that is that Baja, California or is that is that uh, DF? Yeah. No, no, it's Baja, California. Okay. That's where my mother still lives. So... Um, I don't go there that often, as often as I'd like, but I go there for, um, every two or three years. And, uh, you know, it's going back, visiting the family, visiting old friends and visiting old stuff that you have laying around the yeah. house. I mean, yeah. last, last time that I was there, I was just telling my mother, like, well, you know, we have a lot of things that maybe we should throw <laughs> up, uh, away because <laughs> we, we cannot just keep them anymore. Yeah, yeah. Some of them are, are old gadgets all, uh, that don't work anymore. So maybe we should just, uh, I don't know. Yeah, uh, some relics to clean house. Yeah, that yes, usually happens yes. during a move. And if you don't move, then it never happens. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And okay, so growing up, what were your kind of academic passions, you know, geared towards? What, what were you drawn to? Well, you, it's funny because um, I guess that the passions that I had Growing up, for example, in high school, I guess that's where I started going out after things that I really liked. Mm-hmm. I knew that uh, that I liked technology, you know. Uh, back then, I knew that I wanted to do something related to technology. Uh, so I studied a chemistry. Uh, you know, they have this chemistry specialization. You, 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 could use, uh, you could choose between chemistry, math, and I think something related to economics or politics, or I don't know. So I didn't want to go for math or physics because it's like, yeah, it's fine, but I'd rather do something a little bit different uh, just for some, for some time. And I went on, on to chemistry. Also, one of the reasons being because when I growing up, I, you know, when you want to grow up, they tell you, what would you like to be when you grow up? 
And I knew that I wanted to be a math scientist. <laughs> At least I got the math part right. <laughs> so that's what's, what's one of the things that I really love. I loved science. So I started doing that. And inside high school, I also um, become started working on a theater group. You know, I started doing theater there inside and out, outside the high school. And I think that was very, very important for me. Uh, I loved it. And that's the first time with a friend we started doing a radio show also back then in high school. And so I had to the opportunity of, of you know, pursuing this kind of things that I really love, theater, radio and this kind of stuff. And as well, uh, study a little bit of the science that I really enjoyed. And I ended up doing um computer science uh, engineering that's cool okay so so computer science engineering with a with an um, kind of an evening gig of sketch comedy on the radio <laughs> or were you a DJ were you spinning no, the ones no, no, no 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 <laughs> usually I, I was a moderator but of course the the, the things that the shows that was in college um, mm -hmm. when I went to college I started doing computer science engineering and I also did a little bit of theater but then I left it out. And started doing, you know, uh, with I joined the comics club of my my college. I did some of my my closest friends there. Actually, one of the friends that I met there works in that centric with me wow. nowadays. Wow, he's one of my world. oldest and dearest friends. <laughs> so yeah, I'm very lucky to 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 still be working with him. And with the comics club, we started also uh, another. We had two shows, like one that we transmitted through the internet in the 1990s, in the 1990s. Wow. I think it was 1997, 1998. And I think we were using real time, real talk or something like that. I don't remember. Uh, but yeah, you know, we had a total of 10 viewers at one point. <laughs> so we were like super excited. And then we went on doing a radio show, but it was always something related to comics because mm -hmm. we wanted to, it was something that we liked and we, it's something that we wanted to share with the world. So the, the shows that we did, I used to be the moderator and we used to talk about comics, the different things that came out or things that we just liked, movies yeah. that we want to see and things like this. It yeah. But leveraging, fun. leveraging a breaking, you know, bleeding edge technology on, you know, broadcasting online. <laughs> That's that in the nineties, that was, you know, unheard of. That was a very small group of people doing that grading content online, at least. Um, so from there, how did you get into the, the software world? How did the career progress? Well, I sort of got into into software development just because one of my best friends back then went to it. It's like, what career are you going to choose in, in college? It's like, oh, I'm going to go to this. It's like, okay, I'm going to go to that one as well. I wasn't really sure. And I knew that after the first couple of years, because a lot of careers have like the same base, you could mm -hmm. change careers. So I wasn't worried about choosing the wrong career. Right. But I ended up loving it. You know, we could choose up to four different classes throughout the our career. And the ones that I chose were related more to multimedia. I chose, I think, 3D animation, virtual reality, animation, and I don't remember, multimedia. I think that was uh, mm. the last one that I took. And this last one was the one that really got my heart, uh, into my heart. And the teacher that we had there back then, she was actually back then a usability expert. I mean, she did usability testing. She had done consultancy uh, in big companies. And I started uh, to get to know her. And she was the one that introduced me into this whole world. And I just got fascinated by usability back then. And also, I was seeing that this emerging thing with the websites, the web pages, you know, it was it was a thing. And I also found a little bit of interest in, in that. And I think that that's where, where web development got into my heart. So how did you find your way to NetCentric and, and Barcelona? Well, 
precisely this friend, the one that works in Eccentric right now with me, um, he had come to work to Barcelona and he said, hey, you know, Chucho, would you like to come to work to Barcelona? I said, yeah, sure. I'd like to go to work there. <laughs> I mean, I've always wanted to, to come to here to, to work. I started working with him in another company and it was quite nice. So eventually we, we each one of us took our own paths. We changed companies, different companies. I went on working for a couple more companies and then one day, I just said, okay, I, I need a change. And I started looking for an, a new company that 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 caught my attention. And I found Netcentric. So Netcentric called me. But at that moment, the moment that they called me, I was in Mexico. So it's like, hey, you know, I'm on vacation in, in Mexico. I cannot uh, go there to, to have an interview and say, okay, okay, it's fine. And they didn't call me anymore. It's like, okay, a missed opportunity. So... Then Netcentric called me. It's like, you know, we have another company that's all sharing a building with us. And could you, would you mind if we give them your CV? It's like, oh, sure, go ahead, give it. So that company calls me. I go to the to do the interview. I go to the Netcentric um, offices. I fell in love with the Netcentric offices, really, when it's like, okay, it's, it's very nice. I mean, just what I saw, I really, really, really liked it. And I remember that afterwards, uh, after the, uh, the interview, I started looking for jobs, postings about Netcentric. And the moment that I saw one that said front ends, like, yes, I want to apply. And I had to be the one that applied to, to, the, to the job <laughs> finally. And it's like when they asked me, why did you go to Netcentric? It's like, because I loved the office. That's the main reason that I first went to Netcentric. It sounded interesting. And I loved the office. Yeah, and a great place to work. Definitely. It definitely. is. It is. Beautiful views of the whole city. Yeah, it's a... Uh, it's not a bad office to work from, <laughs> um, although the last two years or so has probably been not using the office as much. Hmm. How has that been, actually, now that we're kind of on the, on the subject? Um, how, how has the, the pandemic impacted the, the work and the role of NetCentric? For me, it was a little bit tough at first because um, the house that I used to live, I've, I've changed houses now. Mm -hmm. The apartment that I used to live in before, it was a semi-basement. You know, it's not the nicest place to be in when you have to be 24 hours inside your house. Mm -hmm. And it, I, I had a small space to work, but it wasn't the best. So after the lockdown uh, finished, um, we started looking for a, a new apartment and we found this one. And now, now I have my own personal office space. And after a few months, I finally uh, started to get the hang of working from home. Now, Right now, I love it. But I would love to go back to the office from time to time. The nice thing is that um, it seems that that's going to be a possibility, which is which is fantastic. Now, regarding an, an, uh, the other type of work that I did, because in Netcentric, uh, from the very beginning, Netcentric was, uh, has been always a company that lets you work from home if you need mm -hmm. to. You know, It's like, I need to go to the dentist. Yeah, you can stay at home and then... Um, make up for the time. I want. I need to do this. I need to be here because something's gonna. You know, the plumber is gonna come, and I need to be here. It's like, yeah, sure, you can do it. So it's it has been like that from the very um, beginning. So we are used to working with people distributed everywhere. So it wasn't that that change wasn't that hard. The biggest mm -hmm. thing was not seeing the people every day because one of the fantastic things about working in Centric, at least for me, is the people that uh, and the connections you make with them. I mean. I used to have a Nerf gun underneath my my desk, and sometimes people just came over, and I just took my <laughs> the gun and shot at them, <laughs> and that was just so much fun, and I, I really miss that. Yeah. And on the other side, the pandemic really impacted is the one thing that we have a program in Atlantic, which is called the Academy, mm -hmm. where we invite um, people with new 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 talents to join the company, and we teach them the ropes, uh, the things that they need to start working with us. 
and then they just continue working with us. Um, for the first year, we didn't have an academy because one of the nice things about the academy is bringing everyone together inside the office, you know, from different offices, uh, all the new joiners, bring them together for a couple of months, teach them the ropes, get them, uh, show them, showing them around, uh, letting them meet other people. And this couldn't be done. Yeah. That was for the first year. And then for the second year, it's like, you know, we want to do the academy again, but we cannot still get people together in the office. So it was quite a challenge to find a way. Well, of course, the training had to be online, but it was quite a challenge to organize this for the first time because we've never had to do that. And we did a couple of test runs. And right now, I think that hopefully we're getting the hang of it. So we're still doing it online. Hopefully, one day we'll go back to doing it um, in person. But well, I mean, you have to work with what you've got. Yeah. No, I imagine. Um, and it must have been a, a, a tricky transition because I mean, hmm. it's a fast growing company. You need to find the talent and keep bringing hmm. new people in um, regardless of what's happening externally. It, it has to happen. It's yes or yes. And, and, but, uh, you know, the biggest challenge, I must say, is not training them online. I think that the biggest challenge, and we're still struggling with that, is making them feel part of the company while still being mm -hmm. at, at home, still being far away. Right. I think that's the, that's the biggest challenge. And we're this is what we're struggling most with. And mm -hmm. this is what we're trying to figure out. How can we make those people that come to work with us, how we can make them feel part of the company, how right. we can make them feel part of NetCentric, even though if they've never set a foot on any of the offices. Right. Right. And I think it's a I think it's a challenge a lot of companies, especially global companies are dealing with now is how do you maintain a, a culture, a work culture and, and introduce especially newcomers, new hires into the fabric of the of the organization and really get, get them in. And, and uh, I think the academy, though, the, the setup that, that, it, that you have um, on, on its own merit, I think, has um, has that element of, of bringing them in and, and feeling uh, an inclusive uh, nature. So what's your role exactly with the with the academy each year? I have two main roles. One of them is Academy Dean, which just basically means that I help out organize the academy and or help out the, all the trainers that work mm -hmm. with us and help out to figure out which are the topics that we are going to deliver in the academy. So it's more of uh, the person that helps out organize the academy in the front end part. And then I'm also a trainer. You know, I, from time to time, do some of the workshops myself, which I really love doing. So how do you balance your workload, like your client workload, with the responsibilities you have as a trainer? <laughs> <laughs> well, try to plan myself correctly. You know, I try to, I have my calendar more or less well, well organized. And I try to, for example, if I need to do a training, I try to organize the training, see in the calendar, it's like this, this is training time. If I mean to prepare the trainings, you know, I've also have certain events in the in my calendar that I use that time to do whatever work that is not project related with. Mm -hmm. I do it in that time and I try not to do project work. And when you're working in the project, you know, we have the chance to to decide what are the things every time that we start a, a new sprint, which happens every two weeks, we have a, a chance to decide how much work we can actually handle. So mm -hmm. knowing more or less what I need to do during the next two weeks, I can say, okay, so I think I can handle this amount of work that will allow me to do the additional work that I have. But fortunately, for the most part, I've been able to do both of the jobs within the time frame that you are supposed to use. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, it's constantly jugg juggling different responsibilities. Do you, do you <laughs> set up um, your calendar weekly, like through blocks like that you described? I have certain events that are recurring. Mm -hmm. And usually, yeah, at the beginning of the week, I try to set up a little bit to t take a look at the calendar and see what things I, I'm going to do that day. 
and try to, you know, block the time if I need to do something specific. Like last week I needed to fill out uh, forms, well, internal forms, and mm -hmm. I just blocked the time knowing that this is time that I'm going to be working in filling up internal forms. Yeah, yeah. So um, what, what time do you do the training, the, the NetCentric Academy? When does that usually come up? Yeah, usually it's it's fall, okay. at the end of fall. But this year is different. Um, we're wanting to more than one academy. We actually have one right now in one month. Well, um, in around March. Okay. So we're going to have the first academy for the first time at the beginning of in the, the year. And yeah. yeah, in the spring. And hopefully we're trying to see. At least we know that we're going to have a fall academy. And hopefully we'll try to see if we can do a summer one as well. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so the growth is, is coming back. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So what advice would you give to somebody who's who's about to embark on the NetCentric Academy and, and join the company? Well, the first thing that I would to any any new general or any anyone is that it's okay not to know stuff. You know, uh, I see a lot of people worried about when we do interviews, uh, they just start making up stuff and you know that they don't know, but they are too proud to say, I don't know. And it's a very hard lesson to learn. It's... It, takes a lot of courage, but it's fine to say, I don't know this, but I'm interested in learning it, for example. I appreciate that more than someone just trying to make something up. So um, my advice would be, don't worry about it. You're not supposed to know everything. Mm -hmm. It's okay. And it, I think that it takes a lot of courage to say, I don't know. And it's fine. Yeah, that's really good advice. That's a, that's good advice in, a, in just a general sense. You know, for, for anyone anywhere is, is <laughs> I think we all have this... Uh, this feeling, this imposter syndrome feeling that we need to need to know everything um, about what it is we our role and, and our and our place. Um, but specifically when you're when you're joining the net centric, like specifically net centric, um, hmm. do you have any any kind of uh, let's say words of wisdom of, of how you would approach? Like let's say you put yourself back in time when you were first joining net centric. What are the things you wish you knew about the organization and how to meet people and how the whole how the holacracy culture works? You know, what are some things that maybe. Uh, could give a little insider tip to a new hire. Well, you know, I was there when they changed from the non-holocracy to holocracy. So <laughs> I got to join that boat at that moment. But one thing that I've learned not only in eccentric but in general throughout my career is that you should, and in eccentric it's particularly true, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. You are not an individual that needs to do everything on your own. You have a team. You're part of a team. When you join Netcentric, and this is one of the things that I say about the people, when you join Netcentric, you join a team. I tell the new joiners that, that come with us, it's like, if you have a question, reach out to anyone. If you see that that person is a front-end, then you have a front-end question. Even though you've never spoken to that person, say, hi, you know, I'm this person. I, I would like to ask you a couple of questions if you have the time. Most of the time, people are going to say, yes, okay, sure, ask. And people don't realize that you don't need to do or figure out things on your own, that you are part of the big team and everyone's more than happy to help out. That's great. Yeah, that's that's also very pertinent advice, especially when you're getting in uh, into a new organization with a kind of an uncommon hierarchy or lack of thereof. You know, <laughs> this 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 it's not necessarily a flat organization, but it's it's this it's different than let's say the majority of other companies out there um this idea of working in in circles and in in, in different groups and being a part of those different groups and how to, and how to uh kind of navigate them i think just that breaking the the barrier being the first one to initiate and ask questions i think it sounds like it's very welcome and i've heard that from several people that i've spoken with in netcentric so kind of moving away from the work life into just you know some of your what are some of your hobbies and passions that you that you focus on outside of work i 
I'm a geek. I mean, by nature, I know that the people that are listening to you won't see it, but you can see what I, <laughs> I have can see it <laughs> in, in the background of, of uh, the office, my old comic books. I love reading, but I usually only do it in summer because I like to do it at the beach. Mm-hmm. So, and when I'm not doing that, I either play um, video games, board games. Um, I'm currently back again playing Magic the Gathering. I, uh, role-playing games. I mean, I do a little bit of D&D uh, almost weekly basis, basis. Nice. And yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm all around geek. And, and when you're reading, are you, are you reading like sci-fi fiction? Are you reading nonfiction biography? No, 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 no. I, I must say that I prefer um, fantasy and sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And I, for example, I love Asimov. It's one of my favorite authors. Yeah. And I love that you can read, for example, you want a detective novel. Well, you can read Asimov. with So you have detectives and robots. So right. it's fantastic. Right. It's like the best of both worlds. So I, I tend to read more on this direction. But of course, there's other novels that I do read that are non-fiction and real-life dramas. And I love them. Mm-hmm. So, but it's mostly that fantasy yeah. and, and sci-fi. And yeah, I've been on a big sci-fi kick lately too. A lot of Neil <laughs> Stevenson on my bookshelf. I don't know if you read him, but he's a he's a living legend in the sci-fi world these days, getting a lot of notoriety because he invented the term metaverse, which is everywhere now. So, if um, yeah, if, if you've ever had a chance, um, he just put one out called uh, Fall um, a year or two ago. Very good read. Uh, in the sci-fi genre and as far as reading especially on the beach are you a kindle guy or you prefer the actual physical book i prefer the book if i'm at the beach i'd rather have the physical book and if i'm traveling i'd rather have a kindle yeah i mean uh why why settle in one when you can have uh, both <laughs> yeah yeah i saw a great quote in a uh, a bookstore in ia uh, Santorini in, in, in this little tiny hole in the wall bookshop and it said um, like the the Kindle will never replace books just like the L escalator didn't replace stairs you know <laughs> uh, so they, they can coexist side by side yes. but I, I like to ask people their their opinion on that um, okay so so that that sounds good and and do you travel speaking of the beach I don't tend to travel a lot I'm, I'm more of a stay-at-home guy you know I I mean, with the hobbies that I have, I, I really enjoy just being on my own at home. I can just stay the entire weekend without stepping into the sun. <laughs> but I do enjoy travel when I do it. Uh, there's a few places uh, and a few trips that I like to do every year. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's not really my passion. Yeah. I enjoy it. But now there's so much here in, in Catalonia to explore too. Uh, hmm. And you have the beach right outside your door whenever you need it. Especially if you're, and then if you're going home <laughs> back to Baja, there's a, there's a plenty, plenty of sun there. Yes. Um, nice. Nice. So kind of, you know, wrapping things back up to, I know we're, we're almost out of time here. Um, there is one question that, that, that I, that I need to ask you because it's the, it's the final question that we ask all the guests on the NetCentric podcast. It's kind of like the, desert island disc question you know like you're on a desert island what 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 what's your you know your top 10 records you would bring but no this question is actually more about technology looking forward looking ahead the next 10 20 years which technology or innovation are you most excited about and why there's one technology that i'm still waiting for one of the precisely the classes that i could choose in college is related to that and it's augmented reality for me i've been waiting decades now for augmented reality to be a thing, I just love the idea of enhancing the real world with additional stuff. You know, I think that it has 
so many possibilities in so many areas from, for example, medical to be able to see the internal organs of a patient without even opening them, an architect to be able to see uh, where all the wires inside a building are without needing to to use other tools uh, from and from gaming. I mean, you could just have like regular boards and just see the pieces come alive. I can just imagine playing, for example, Dungeons and Dragons with pieces that actually move and fire that you can see it exploding and all these kind of things. I mean, for me, AR is one of the things I'm really waiting for it to happen in a in a cheap and um, accessible way, right. you know, instead of having to use a huge headset, something that is smaller. I mean, this is for me the thing that I want to see, and I hope that I live to see. It. Yeah, I mean, I would like to think that it's coming, right? <laughs> you know, it's it's it, it, it's it's on the tip of every tongue. It's on you know uh, Garner's Garner's hype cycle. It's way past the 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 trough of death, right? Like it's 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 coming. It, it should be coming. A lot of companies have um, kind of put some prototypes out there. We had Google Glass, you know, for a minute there. Yes. About, what, six, seven years ago. Um, Microsoft HoloLens, I think, mm. was in the, in, the, in the papers about six months ago. And this is the year that Apple might unveil their AR, mixed reality, virtual reality, whatever you want to call it, but their AR take on some sort of hardware. So what do you think? Do you think 2022 is the year that we actually see something that, that's mass market? <laughs> I, I hope so. Well, you know, with Facebook becoming meta and then announcing the metaverse, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it seems that they are seeing part of the metaverse as some that you can be in it with AR as part of the experience. So I'm hoping that now, I mean, if Apple and uh, Meta and Google are going into, I just really hope that, th I mean, if if they don't make it happen, nobody's going to make it happen. Yeah. If the biggest companies in the world, tech companies are not going to make it happen, then we can just like forget about it. So I really hope, I don't know if 2022 is going to be the year, but I really hope that that yeah. it is. And if yeah. not, that it comes really soon. No, it's definitely an exciting space. And I think we saw glimpses of it with the Pokemon Go revolution mm -hmm. a few years ago. You know, you, you kind of see it in blips. Um, but I but I definitely believe it's on the horizon. And uh, it will be an exciting future because I think the the effects and the impacts of that are even just too hard to to comprehend. I'll take I'll take the uh, the past that I just don't know. And I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to learn about it, the answer on that one. <laughs> nice. Well, Chucho, thank you so much for joining us today on the NetCentric podcast. Uh, we'd love to have you back again on a future episode. Thank you, Scott. And I would love to be back if, if you want me to. So I had a lot of fun. Thank you very much for, yeah. for the time. Great. We'll talk to you soon.